Well, I mean, did I, did I tell you that when I was in high school, I was the anonymous horoscopes writer for my school's newspaper? No, people, tell me more. People loved it. So why is mysticism so dangerous if you want to become a space-fearing civilization? It is because all mystical frameworks are fundamentally alternate hypotheses without evidence or predictive capacity for how physics works. They are mundane in our world today outside of how they affect a person's ability to think clearly. They are not mundane if they are allowed to spread on a spaceship where you need a, a life support system and you can immediately disintegrate if somebody's like, well, radiation has healing properties or somebody's like, oh, I don't believe that this is how our warp drive should work. And in those capacities, it's literally life or death to not allow these heretical beliefs to spread. Yeah. Would you like to know more? You look like a newscaster and I look like some kind of witch from the like middle ages so this is i thought i'd mix it up but a lot people are really surprised by our logo like they think this is a new thing for us i've had this for ha half a decade at this point maybe almost no not a full decade but yeah I mean, we've been it using is it as logo. our family logo for well, a it's long the logo time of, no our family logo is our monogram this is the logo oh, of the yeah. pragmatist foundation put that up the pragmatist foundation has been around since 2016 and um, the gear has been a main part of that and the pragmatist foundation is what technically owns and operates this podcast so yeah well and the, the the baby when we had octavian our first kid his blankie has the pragmatist foundation logo on it and all of our books have the pragmatist foundation logo on it and somebody was like well why this number of teeth in it and the answer was actually it's a it's a superimposed you can think of it as a superimposed latin cross and saint andrew's cross is why it has this number of teeth in it for the the religious element, but also, you know, we, we go over in the, the the piece I posted a text as to why we decided to do the logo change. We'd been meaning to for ages. Might do a dedicated episode about it, actually. That would be interesting as to why we chose the gear as our logo here. But recently something happened. So Simone went to accept the Republican Party's sort of nomination, not nomination, but endorsement of her candidacy for uh, the state house. From and the, the Republican committee of our county in Pennsylvania. You said, this is the first time in my entire life. You're like, I'm here 30 what years old. And for the first time in my life, I experienced real gender discrimination. It was but amazing. It was the I've never best experienced possible thing. Yeah, so, so... I, as we were walking around, she was obviously the candidate. You know, she was on stage as a candidate and everything like that. But for whatever reason, there was a specific category of idiot who had a lot of advice to give about running for office, but would only talk to me. And so all the interesting people, I was like this weird force field of idiocy around Simone at the event. I know, They're like normally the misogyny you'd think would like benefit Malcolm, right? That like people would just like see me and be like, okay. And then like be like, okay, I'm going to talk with the man. But it was only the, uh, it sounds bad. It was only the dumbest people and clearly like the least important and least impactful people that just mm -hmm. completely ignored me and only spoke with Malcolm, which was hilarious and amazing and you know they would say things like oh, what did that one guy say he's like well i'm gonna ask he looked to me for a second this is before he summarily ignored me he looked to me and he said well this is normally something i've always asked guys but now i ask women too what do you do for work and i'm like <laughs> i'm like i run a chain of companies in a private equity firm thank you he sir. Must have been like only between like 
1956 and 1965 because apparently like I mean there's been no other time where women don't work I don't understand like this whole housewife thing what even I, I don't and he was he was another person running for office too oh boy it was oh funny. anyway so hold on but we got to get to the topic at hand which yeah. is suffer not a witch to live <laughs> and no and so a lot of people you know they hear about our beliefs and they are sometimes surprised by the elements of traditional cultures that we maintain with extremely fierce fidelity, <laughs> even fiercer fidelity than most of the current conservative religious communities. And our beliefs around witchcraft and sorcery fall into this extremist faction of things. When you look around the world and you see all successful cultural groups that is successful in terms of their spread uh, or not all, but almost all like a huge convergent belief system mm -hmm. is the belief that witchcraft, sorcery, and mysticism are evil. This is something you see across traditions. And so that means there is some reason for it. Uh, that reason can either be that it is actually evil or it has some negative consequences on the traditions that allow its practice at high levels. But another thing that's really interesting is they often frame it as being evil in the same way. So it's usually not just that it is broadly evil. It is, and someone you were telling me that you had experienced this was like your own parents were even into this stuff had told you stuff like this. Yeah, my, my parents were always like either, like my mother was really interested in sort of like training as a shaman in her final years, my my dad had attended like these sort of psychic seminars. And as a kid, you know, you always want to hear about ghost stories or anything crazy. Right. So I always asked him about it and he's like, man, you have to be really careful. Cause you know, like when you open yourself up to this stuff, like you, you become a conduit, you know, you let them, they can come in through you essentially. And yeah, it's interesting that like even people who are into it, even people who like want to harness that or access or tap into that world are like, no, nah, it's dangerous. <laughs> it's dangerous. You were telling me that it fucks with your head, that the certain amount of it after a while, it just fucks with your head. That's why I'm usually kind of like almost autistic is I'm just being constantly. Right. Why? Because lower entities will come in and violate your free will. They know all your bullshit. They see right through you. They will not manipulate your free will unless you ask them in i have dude do not say that i'm gonna get killed i've 100 percent communicated with something i'm not judging anybody i'm just saying okay. be careful the question is whether that something was actually in my imagination or in my mind or that something was something that takes place in another dimension once you open that gate it's all bad they why have... is it all bad why why can't you experience that interdimensional being and learn something from it and be a better person because, when you come out of because it. Because every time it gets control, it starts murdering everybody. They wind up killing everybody. Like In every case. And it always starts beautiful. It always starts great. Problem is, some of it makes sense. That That's where the psychosis comes in. Whoa. It's going to create a giant societal crisis where most of the people are already going to get killed because an evil force wants conflict. So I'm saying no, no, no. It's all chaos. Stop it. This is the nature of the beast. Yeah, yeah. And then you see this within Christian communities. You know, you engage with a Ouija board or something like that. And that is the pathway for demons to enter your spirit mm -hmm. and corrupt your mind. Mm -hmm. Or you look at, you know, Jewish teachings around like the Kabbalah. Like there is a Jewish mysticism branch, but you are often taught you do not engage with this until you are very 
well-trained in other areas. Like it is yeah. not child's play. It is meant to be taken very seriously and systemically. And in some cases, almost like a training of a defense against the dark arts rather than, <laughs> you know, practicing for the sake of practicing for individual power. And this then comes to our broader framework around this one. Why has this been historically shamed? So there's like three categories here. Like, is there a reason this is a bad thing to believe? Two, if we are creating an iteration of a tradition that we mean to take humanity to the stars, does it make sense to have really fierce prohibitions against this? Three, what really is mysticism? Like, what's the core mm -hmm. of it and why is it so appealing to people? And how can we identify it and stamp it out? So first, let's sort of talk about like what mysticism really is, because if you go historically, like if I go to ancient Athens or something like that, right, mysticism would include what today we would call astronomy and physics and mm. philosophy. And when mysticism included all of these other fields, it was generally not shamed by the traditions around it. Mm -hmm. But as society evolved, those things that could be proven true and could be engaged with became split out of mysticism and became the sciences. Mm -hmm. And mysticism is sort of the residue that's left when you take out all of the provable, materiable, studyable aspects of these traditions. And it's not that people don't try. Like there are whole university departments that have been created around like trying to, like this was big in the 80s, like mind reading and stuff like that departments. Mm -hmm. uh, they're actually made fun of in Ghostbusters. That <laughs> if, you, if anyone has seen Ghostbusters, one of the characters works in one of these departments. Like, and, and it's something you can easily measure. Like somebody claims to be psychic. Okay, we have one person holding cards. How often can the other person guess the cards that this person is holding and looking at? Square. Good guess, but wrong. Is it a star? It is a star. <gasps> very good. That's great. Like, this is very measurable stuff. Well, yeah. it turns out that these departments didn't really produce anything particularly interesting, and so most of them were shut down. If they had, that would have become a science, and it would have split out of mysticism, because they would have been like, well, are you talking about the science, the measurable kind, or the mystic kind? It's funny. Where it was, quote-unquote, proven was in, like, government, like, far-seeing programs and stuff like that. So the government had some programs tied to mysticism, a giant bureaucracy idiotic bureaucracy that bureaucracies always are and it decided that a lot of this stuff was true at first the, the movie men who stare at goats is is uh, about this but over time it was realized that no this was just con men who were easily screwing with bureaucracies and bureaucracies are incredibly stupid especially government bureaucracies this is larry's spirit guide maud i'm looking into the cupboard now and I see a tin mug. No, wait a minute. You said A, not K. He said A. But I, I want to... So what defines mysticism today, like, like what's left of mysticism, are the, the ways of viewing the world and the ways of seeing the world that do not infer a predictive or competitive advantage for the individual. Yeah, it's like it's... It's like adding an additional explanation for things or additional heuristics for making decisions that are not backed up by science or results. And yeah. yet they provide comfort or a feeling of control. 
sometimes in places or, or ways where there just is no control. And I think, and maybe this is taking things too off, but like we would probably even throw like personality assessments like the Myers-Briggs and like blood types and um, horoscopes into this category as well. Well, um, I would strongly throw horoscopes into this category. Yeah. You know, if, if, if we are, if we're out there burning witches, that includes people who believe in horoscopes. And well, what, but what also I, to... I was just listening to, there's a, a really fun podcast called the studies show where they sort of do a meta analysis of a subject. They did personality tests recently and, and they going through the research actually found that even like the Myers-Briggs, which is used extensively is really not the robust people think it is, especially when you port it across cultures or apply it to different cultures. Like there are some cultures that just only pick up on like two of the things and really the bigger like personality modulators or things like intelligence. <laughs> so even, yeah, even the Myers-Briggs, you know, is, I would say is, is one of those mysticism-esque things that people fob off as science. Um, but that has, it falls into that category of, this thing that people really like to use to explain things or predict things that doesn't actually track with like very predictive or solid results. So this is actually really interesting because the Myers-Briggs is a good way of showing how we determine when something is witchcraft versus not witchcraft, how we determine if it's mysticism versus not mysticism, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's not the aesthetics. We don't need like a wand yeah. or, or yeah, yeah. because some mysticism at one time was science, but has since been proven non-useful. So within our framework, for example, phrenology would be considered a form of mysticism. Totally. Homeopathy would be considered a form of mysticism. 100%. And Myers-Briggs, if it is disproven in the data, which I mm -hmm. think the preponderance of data shows that it's just not particularly useful, it edges on mysticism, but it isn't full mysticism in that it still does have some level of efficacy. It is only mysticism insofar as people overuse it in that it appeals to earlier mystical frameworks. Whereas zodiac signs, if you look, <laughs> Spencer Greenberg ran a giant study on zodiac signs recently mm -hmm. to see if they had any predictive capacity and they have zero predictive capacity. And OkCupid okay, <laughs> did a big study on this as well. And then people, of course, go, oh, well, what you actually need is not no, the no, sun, the no, moon, no, no, not no, the no, no. What they're saying is they're like, oh, well, Spencer's just a classic Capricorn. <laughs> yeah, right, right. No, no, but then they're like, oh, no, but you actually need to do it in this ultra specialized way that like. Yeah, like you're, you're, you're just going by their sun sign. It's obviously you have to look at like where Mars is as well, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, like okay, so then if somebody did a test using all of that, like, and it had a reasonable sample size, like 100 people. Would you then look at that test and have your beliefs overturned if it didn't show that it was predictive? And these people would be like, no, not really. So, <laughs> so they believe something. And, and this is where mysticism becomes really important for two reasons. Mm -hmm. You view it from a completely secular framework. One is, is it's corrupting of the mind. And we'll talk about how it's corrupting of the mind because it really affects these people's ability to hold like coherent, logical thoughts after they engage with it too long. And in that way, these earlier analogies of like, you know, you touch the chaos and it corrupts you mm. were not incorrect. They just yeah. were explaining it like you'd explain it to a child. And like well, they I were say, explaining it in their own terms, which is that the, the, the terms of a mystic. Before we move forward, I just want to point out one more thing and that this goes both ways. There are many practices that are or in the past have been mystical 
that are now shown to be fairly scientifically robust in causing certain meaningful effects. Consider ayahuasca ceremonies. Now, of course, there's wide variation in the effectiveness of these because every Every like practitioner of these has a slightly different formula and process, and obviously some formulas are more effective than others. But these can very significantly affect people's like life outlooks, depression levels, etc. Like they're they're very meaningful and they're very like effective psychedelics that people are administering. And yet that was yeah. you know seen as like kind of witchcraft, kind of like in this like shaman. So like the aesthetics of it don't matter. We don't care about that. Same with like a lot of like herbal mm -hmm. remedies. You know, a lot of people who are seen as witches were just like basically providing effective pharmaceuticals to people in their lives right and, and so very important in this yeah. is that it is not the aesthetics yes. it's whether or not it has been tested exactly. there was not like a previous period where people had tested these ayahuasca ceremonies and determined that they did not have efficaciousness mm -hmm. they just assumed they didn't because of the aesthetics around them which we are very against doing mm -hmm. actually this brings me to a great example of what modern mysticism is modern mysticism is to science what herbal remedies are to medicine mm -hmm. if you look historically a lot of medicine we use today was originally herbal remedies aspirin it's like aspirin like oh you chew on bark of an aspirin tree right like mm -hmm. Like it, 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 aspen tree, I guess. It's, yeah. And that creates some, you know, effect that lowers inflammation and lowers pain in an individual. Mm -hmm. um, well, this was tested and it worked. And then the, the companies then said, okay, well, can we create this without all the impurities that you're getting when you're mm -hmm. chewing on bark? Can we make this healthier? Can we make this more? And that's the way science has engaged a lot of the earlier mystical practices. Yeah. And that it has tried to distill them. Now, keep in mind, modern science has become corrupted. We are the first to say that academia has become corrupted by the virus. But that doesn't mean that we are, as we often say, like we believe in an academic reformation. We do not have a problem with the scientific method. What we have is a problem with the centralized bureaucratic institutions that have become the guardians of that method. Mm -hmm. uh, when the Protestants split from the Catholic Church, they didn't have a problem with God. They had a problem with the corruption of the central bureaucracy. And this is the same way we relate to things like mysticism. But I need to go further here. So, so why is mysticism so dangerous if you want to become a space-fearing civilization? It is because space-fearing civilizations need to have portions of their population that live on spacefaring ships. These are ships that are going to function on the edge of science, whether it is their life support systems, the cutting edge of science, or their, you know, faster than light propulsion drives, or their, you know, near speed of light propulsion drives. All mystical frameworks are fundamentally alternate hypotheses without evidence or predictive capacity for how physics works. That is what mysticism fundamentally is. Whether you are talking about ghosts or you are talking about the zodiac signs or you are talking about, God forbid, I mean, we take a very anti-mystical framework, so anti-mystical that uh, many religious traditions, now keep in mind, this is only within our tradition that we treat this so harshly, the human soul. All of these are alternate hypotheses about how reality works and, and belief in alternate physical planes and stuff like that behind reality, and as such, are forms of mysticism. And they are mundane in our world today, outside of how they affect a person's ability to think clearly, which we'll talk about in a second. They are not mundane if they are allowed to spread 
on a spaceship where you need a, a life support system and you can immediately disintegrate and be exposed to space if somebody's like, well, radiation has healing properties or somebody's like, oh, I don't believe that this is how our warp drive should work. And in those capacities, it's literally life or death to not allow these heretical beliefs to spread. Yeah. And they need to be prosecuted within these communities. And, and, and people can be like, how does this correlate with your views around religious pluralism, right? Which is really interesting. So we still believe in religious pluralism, but remember, we believe in the concept of a tesseract God. And the tesseract God concept means that there are multiple holistically true revelations of God in the world today. Some iterations of Islam, some iterations of Christianity, some iterations of Judaism. Um, none of those we think are iterations that lead heavily into the mystical arts. We think that most of the true iterations see the mystical arts as what they are, which is dangerous and not things that any individual or any individual who is aligned with the forces of good should be meddling with or should be engaging with. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about why this, the historically this happened and why it's such a problem. And, and you'll see this if you engage with mystical communities. You know, we had a, one of our viewers who's trying to create something similar to what we're doing, but he's like, yeah, but I want it to be like mystical and like incorporate mystical arts from various communities. And he's like, but the problem is whenever I talk to people, they're either like mystical arts are stupid or they're like, yeah, man, like I like your vibes around this idea. And it's like, well, why is he getting that response? It's because he's engaging with a community that is defined about the untestability of its ideas other than in an aesthetic sense. So they define which ideas they accept and which ideas they reject based on how those ideas aesthetically make them feel. Hmm. Now, when you begin to structure your logic and the way you engage with the world around aesthetic sensibility, and you are now debating and communicating with other people using that as your metric for true versus untrue things, you can begin to see how now your brain is no longer learning the true metric of truth, which is for us, this gives you some level of predictability over future events. Like if mm -hmm. I know X about the world, that thing is true if it helps me predict future events. Like my knowledge of fire is accurate if it predicts what fire does. When you are no longer, when your fire now for you is something that has nothing to do with prediction, it's completely mystical in nature and it has some sort of like, you know, a lot of the times mystical arts tap into super soft culture, which we've talked about in our books and stuff like that. It has some sort of like personal identifying thing. It may have some product of fetishes. And by fetishes, I don't mean uh, sexual fetishes. I mean like religious fetishes, like some sort of item that provides an individual with power. Um, and, and this is another thing that's really a problem with mysticism is it appeals to individual vanity almost as much as hedonism does. Hedonism appeals to individual vanity in that it allows an individual to just engage with whatever their brain is telling them to engage with at like the lower level. But then there's- well, yeah, I mean, personal vanity isn't even necessarily the right word. It's it's a, a cheat code or excuse to, to not think, to not act, to not do the hard thing. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, um, that's also a big reason why many very established religions reject witchcraft or mysticism. Because while they have their own internal cheat codes for like hand waving of like, oh, this thing is logically inconsistent, but here's the reason why no one else is allowed to do that. Because if other people start to do that, then they get to bend all the other rules um, and the important rules. So I think, you know, this is an important thing. 
Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Well, you know, there's some mystical arts that clearly show some form of effect, right? You know, like, oh, the whirling dervishes or something like that, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, of course they show some kind of effect. If you study science, you would know that doing something, because like I'm really into the study of cults and how cults recruit and how psychology works and stuff like that. If you are doing a repeated rhythmic dance that can activate the same part of your brains as hallucinogens, this is especially true of your spinning, which is going to create a form of dizziness and other forms of neural damage, which will create <laughs> feelings of, of grandeur. And it's, it's, it's particularly true of anything you do to the absence of sleeping enough and eating enough. Like these yeah, are- Yeah, I mean, it's similar to like drug intake. It's going to, it's going to alter your consciousness. But it also makes people incredibly susceptible to ideas. And as we have pointed out in, in other episodes, the human brain did not evolve in any context where it was rewarded for recognizing profundity as profundity. So yeah. it is very easy to hijack the parts of the brain associated with profundity using things like twirling for hours on end that we can understand as psychologists and neuroscience, how that makes people extremely susceptible to really any idea you want to insert into them after doing that or dancing mm -hmm. or anything like that. And that that doesn't just because something is effective at brainwashing people doesn't mean it's an effective source at sourcing for truth in the world. Mm -hmm. And this is why it is important to educate yourself. This is why a, a person who lives in the words of Winwood Reed, a person who lives by their conscience, but who does not take the time to educate that conscience is living in sin because it doesn't matter if your conscience is prone to sin, if your conscience is prone to corruption. And let's talk about what we mean by like corruption, right? I actually really like, like when we're explaining this to our kids, because as we said, every religion needs an adult way of understanding things like the, the way that leans towards more like a rational understanding, but also why That's God complex, wants yeah. the same Then you need like the cartoon kid version. The cartoon kid version. Yeah. I'm just going to take again the Warhammer version. Um, <laughs> the war, you know, that you engage with the mystical arts and you open yourself to possession by demons. And, 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 and this, this but I, I'll be clearer about it and truer about it. This possession doesn't look like a full on like Catholic possession or something like that. Mm -hmm. It looks like a corruption of the mind. You have opened your mind to a world that is not a world of logic and consequences, but a world of aesthetics and wishy thinking, uh, which is one of the most dangerous mystical and I think the core of super soft cultures. So people who don't know wishy thinking, it's from an IT crowd episode, uh, but it's something you see across mystical traditions, which is the idea that human intentionality can increase the probability of events in the future. Uh, the secret is the best example of this, but it basically means if you want the something to happen badly enough, it can affect real world probabilities. Base, what is it? The simple answer is, we don't know. Or at least we didn't know until now. And I'm not a scientist, but I do have a better understanding of what space is than any scientist living today. Where did I gain these insights? From this man, Beth Gaga Shaggy the founder of Spaceology. When it comes to space, he's the man with his head screwed on tight. This is what he told me. Space is invisible mind dust, and stars are but wishes. I mean, think about that. That means every star you can see in the night sky is a wish that has come true. And they've come true because of something he calls space star ordering. Space star ordering is based on the twin scientific principles of star maths and wishy thinking. No. If that doesn't convince you, well then, 
Maybe you just don't deserve to get what you want. You're a skeptic, Jen. You should be more like these. They can't get enough of my space star ordering story. How did the cosmos grant you a helicopter? <laughs> well, I visualized the thing I wanted. In my case, it was a helicopter. I drew a picture of the helicopter on a piece of paper. A couple of days later, bought myself a helicopter. Explain that one if you can. And now you see what we mean when we talk about this being an alternate hypothesis for how the physical laws exist. Mm -hmm. But an individual who gets invested in this will have a very easy time in terms of confirmation bias and stuff like that. These beliefs persist intergenerationally among some communities because of their effectiveness at hijacking the human brain. Is there a way to prevent this from happening to a person's brain when they engage with mystical arts? Previously, I would have said no, but I have some disconfirming evidence recently which has made me rethink this particular topic. Specifically, historically speaking, everyone I ever knew who engaged with a Kabbalah or Kabbalistic texts, this is a, the Jewish mystical texts, was so bad at structuring their thoughts afterwards, Simone and I even had an internal phrase to describe these individuals called Kabbalah-brained. Yet, recently, actually, a fan of the show who I've been engaging with is an expert on these texts, and he seems to be able to structure his thoughts very logically and be a very otherwise smart and lucid individual. Why is this the case? What I suspect happened is he actually engaged with the text following Jewish custom, which is, you know, you don't engage with them until you are very well-structured in logic and other forms of engaging with ideas before you approach the text, and they are written about as something that should be seen as potentially dangerous within Jewish customs and that should be approached with an extreme amount of caution, and that when he went into them, he went into them with that understanding and not that understanding being, because one of the, the really dangerous things is people misunderstanding when somebody says, approach this with caution, it could have damaged you. Some people hear that and they think, oh, that must mean it's a super powerful thing or it's a super forbidden and cool thing, which I think is something that draws a lot of people to mysticism. When what is actually meant to that is no, not this is a place of unique power, but this could actually just mess you up if you do not approach it with an ordered mind. The fact that I only know one person who hasn't been severely affected by engaging with these types of thoughts, to me, still says it's probably better to make a blanket ban on it. However, I will say that it appears that there are ways to engage with it that doesn't totally destroy your ability at higher order logic. I just haven't seen evidence that they provide enough enduring value to a community to be worth the risk that is included with keeping them top of mind within a community's traditions outside of a sort of defense against the dark arts studying guide. But as we point out for our kids, if these mystical arts worked, people in power in the world today, like when I look at the top, like 100 most powerful people in the world today, they would be really into them. And yet... People who are into the mystical arts disproportionately are from lower socioeconomic groups and lower political power groups and lower social power groups. And, and then the question is why? So there's two answers here. Either mysticism is just complete hokum and a waste of time. And so individuals who have dedicated their time to it and not to matters of materialism have allowed their minds to be corrupted and have wasted time that they could have spent learning things and thus are less industrial and economically productive and less human in our perspective, or they do work. 
but they come with some external cost that is preventing them from being used to gain power within society, in which case that also historically would have led to most religions, even from a cultural evolution standpoint, to end up shaming them. And there is no reason for you to investigate them outside of a defense against the dark arts thing. And this is where I, you know, Simone, you know me, I love studying ghosts, cryptids, the, the multiple lives, everything like that. I study every story, every story of the weird, it's every fun story stuff. I mean, there's a reason why people are into this stuff. It's fun. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, even within our school system, we have a whole branch of the tree called dangerous ideas that basically goes into every single one of these, these branches of conspiracy theories and mysticism and stuff like that. And allows people to go as deep as they want to go within these ideas in terms of personal education. But I think the best way to dispel many of these ideas is, and I think that this is one of the problems with the existing school system and in existing religions, is they say, don't engage with these ideas. Don't learn about these things. Because if you learn about these things, you might be tempted to engage with them, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas I actually think that if you just put them out there for people. Now, if you toggle the Christian toggle in our skill tree, all of these get deleted. None of your students will see them, so you don't need to worry about this. But for those of us who have our perspective, which is a way to prevent student education from something, is to educate them on it. When students actually learn about the Zodiac system, how it was developed, what the mechanism of action is behind the system, I think most of the students, or most of, for example, my kids that I would want to keep within our cultural tradition, would immediately see how stupid it is. Yeah, and you have to put that in contrast with how people typically encounter this, which is Typically, a trusted friend or family member talks about these things with immense confidence as though they are so true and so predictive and so right that if you respect that person or you're in a social situation where you're afraid of social rejection, you are going to accept it without vetting it at all, Mm -hmm. which is why I think a lot of people come to believe in things like the Zodiac is, you know, like someone that they like or care about or a good friend or a family member is like, oh, well, I mean, as you can tell, like, because you're a Sagittarius, this, 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 you know, and then they just, yeah, you know, when you're in a social situation, you're not in your, I'm sitting in an armchair, like primed to think critically mindset. (laughs) Well, yeah. And it feels like forbidden information and forbidden Mm -hmm. information is uniquely tempting. You can fight forbidden information by denying access to it, which doesn't work in the age of the internet. Or in our cultural tradition, you prevent forbidden information by making it not forbidden and making it not uniquely tempting because it Mm -hmm. offers nothing. Mm -hmm. And the way that you like... If, you, if they're taught about this stuff alongside these famous psychologist experiments, I don't know if you guys are familiar about this, but there's these famous studies in psychology where they would present people randomly with explanations that had come from something like a Zodiac test. But they were doing them actually for like psychological personality tests, right? But they were written in the way that like Zodiac writers write their tests. It's something like 90% of people, when they would read the explanation that was assigned to them at random, they'd be like, wow, that's a great explanation of my personality and who I am. And like, because many people, people with weaker minds and and, and the type of people who maybe we wouldn't want within our culture as, as readily, they have a very weak sense of self. And so when an external projection of who they are is assigned to them, especially in their like teenage years when they're trying to figure out who they are, they really want somebody to just basically tell them. Yeah. And they want that thing to be assigned some form of authority. And that's what a lot of these do is they, yeah. you know. Well, I mean, did I, did I tell you that when I was in high school, I was the anonymous horoscopes writer for my school's newspaper? No, people, tell me more. People loved it. And I did exactly that. I just was, you know, like, oh, this, you know, 
this week you worked really hard and, you know, people didn't recognize how hard you worked or, you know, you, you, you know, you take things out on yourself a lot and you, you probably should take, it's just like so generic. Everyone goes through it. Everyone feels these things. It is incredibly obvious, but people love it because it often involves hearing what you want to hear about yourself and, or hearing what you want to hear about other people or giving you an excuse as to why you're not compatible with someone. So as long as you do that, then it's, it's so easy to get by with it. And, you know, similar things happen with psychics and like the con men that you talked about who like conned the government for a while into thinking that, you know, people actually did have psychic abilities is you can do a lot by just reading someone really quickly, looking at their face, the way they dress, the way they hold themselves, the way they smell, all these tiny little cues can tell you a lot of things. So like it's, it is incredibly easy to fleece people over. And a lot of, again, what mysticism is and what witchcraft is, is providing an easy button for thinking, providing a don't make me think, give me an excuse to not work hard and just make me feel good thing, which we associate with obviously the worst elements of culture any culture or any practice that allows you to just say, oh, I'm going to give myself a break or, oh, I don't have to think about this or, oh, it's not my fault. It's because of my blood type slash horoscope slash, you know, someone put a curse on yeah. me. And that makes it inherently evil and bad and it will create bad outcomes, weak cultures, poor birth rates, bad mental and well, economic outcomes, et cetera. Morning that was so powerful is you're like, it's the ultimate form of externalizing. Yeah, because you are externalizing your self-control to something outside you, but then believe that you have influence over it in a way that you actually don't have influence over it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it allows you to blame everything on something else, feel like you're in control, but ultimately not be in control. Yeah. Well, and so then I think like, what would our cultural rules be about this? Like how against us are we? I would say that we would be okay with living next to cultures that practice forms of mysticism, but we would not be okay with living next to them in a way where they could influence our ability to live. So for example, if we were going on a spaceship or something like that, or we were colonizing another planet, I think we would take very harsh rules against this yeah. and harsh rules against it in the raising of our own kids. I and, do think and, that our, we're not morally against using mysticism to subdue others, however. And I think no, a lot of, no, I mean, this is also something that like people have leveraged to subdue other groups for a very long time. Lever well, and that's the thing. This is a really good example of also how like mysticism can make people incredibly vulnerable to outside incursions because those people can be like, oh, yes, I, I am the thing that was prophesized to come. And that's why you should listen to me. Or yes, this thing. Oh, like in uh, Asimov's foundation series, the the one culture after the decline of, of intergalactic civilization after the empire falls that maintains basically like the Wikipedia and understanding of all technology and history just sort of tricks the other cultures that have now become, you know, backwards barbarians into believing that all of their science and technology is like religious power and they are a religious order. So they're using people's tendency to fall to mysticism as their means of gaining and maintaining power. Um, and yes, so like sexuality, mysticism is something that should be studied to understand how to manipulate the weak-minded, but yeah. also understand that in your study, you are learning how to guard yourself against those who would use this power against you. No, um, mysticism is like sexuality, fun. <laughs> right, but I, I'd also argue, well, and, and psychum, you know, psychum being like psychological nonsense that we often, you know, preach against. Oh, psychic um, 
psychic hokum. Yeah. Mm. Well, I know what I'm talking about is like modern day psychology movements that are used to manipulate people. So the interesting question here is, if mysticism is so dangerous and if so many religious traditions have converged on the teaching, don't engage with mystical stuff, it is not good for you. Why does it intergenerationally persist as a teaching within some of the most successful cultures in human history? With obviously the probably big example within the Abrahamic traditions being the Kabbalistic teachings in Judaism. And, and, you know, if you look at other Jewish writings, it even says a third of your time should be dedicated to, to Kabbalism. One third, Mishnah, one third, uh, I can't remember. But anyway, yeah, one third. So it's, it's not even like a off-topic side quest as some people try to frame it. Yes, you should wait until you're married and you're mentally mature, but it does say a lot of your time should be dedicated to it. So why does something like this stay around? The first and most important reason is that it is very good for lighting a religious fervor in low IQ, low education populations. So if you have like a bunch of peasants or something like that, you're going to have a very hard time getting them really excited and dogmatic about just Abrahamic teachings in and of themselves. You usually need some form of mysticism. This is where Catholics use a lot of like saint worship and where the Orthodox use a lot of relic worship, which is from my perspective, clearly idolatry. But, but why would you engage with something that the Bible tells you not to if you're within one of these Abrahamic traditions? Well, because it is very, very good at getting peasants excited who otherwise don't feel like they have a lot of power or control over their lives. This allows them to feel that power or control and also close to the divine. The problem is what aspect of the divine are they actually touching? Is it, you know, the agents of providence or is it the basilisk? Or I guess in, in normal Christian phrasing, is it God or is it demons? Then the, the second reason I think that this is so effective and intergenerationally persistent is that it mirrors humans' pre-evolved super soft culture. This is something we talk about in the Pragmatist Guide to Crafting Religions. But we think that when man removes all tradition and all science from his mind, most humans converge on a very similar set of beliefs about the world. And these beliefs come from what was probably the most common human religious system in the pre-agricultural period that just humans co-evolved with for a very, very, very long time. But that as soon as humans started to live in settlements and started to get advanced technology was no longer efficacious for humans. And so it was suppressed and outcompeted by religious systems, which outcompeted other groups merely from how they helped those groups' uh, fitness, i.e. how many surviving children they had, and they didn't have enough time to fully integrate with those individuals' neurology. So when you remove that, a lot of people reconverge on this old sort of mystical tradition which has lost its efficaciousness. I'd also note that mysticism will always be with us because it is part of that pre-evolved iteration of humanity. It is part of that ape-like side of us that is always going to bubble up in the background and that will always re-emerge within any religious community. Even if we went on to spaceships and we burned every book that ever talked about the mystical, our great-great-great-great-grandchildren would one day rediscover a mystical tradition that looks very similar to the forms of mysticism that are around today because it is sort of a genetic scar deep within us. 
first, I'd say it's definitely not that it works. If it works, as we've said, we would see the majority of people in power in our society utilizing these sorts of teachings if it was actually helping people gain power or outcompete other people. Now, here I should note, even though it can't help a person gain real power in the world uh, or gain a real edge in the world, it can make a person feel as if they have real power. And from a religious standpoint, that can be almost as useful when you are dealing with a population that doesn't feel like they have power over their own lives. And that means it can be a very useful conversion mechanism. Of course, within our belief system, we would say that those sorts of emotions are the very last emotions any human should be masturbating because masturbating those emotional subsets it increases the strength of those emotional subsets and will move you more and more towards the most perverse type of external locus of control, one you mistakenly believe that you actually have power over even when you don't. And then when, when things go wrong, you know, you don't take responsibility for them. It's the, the mystical workings of the universe that cause them to go wrong, not yourself, not your own responsibility. So it's it's uniquely toxic form of feeling like you have power. The final thing that I think is is useful about these traditions, if they sort of are cordoned off within a wider system, is that they can be used as a sophist trap or an idiot trap. So this means if an individual is incredibly good in terms of verbal intelligence, but otherwise not particularly high IQ, and could otherwise prove a danger to the wider community, this can be very, very useful for preventing them from causing too much damage because it can sort of begin to eat up all of the time of people who otherwise might have become a con artist or something like that or uh, a, a preacher but a preacher of idle things that don't actually move people towards their goals but instead is just like enriching his own pockets and this is something that i have noticed and i don't know exactly what causes it maybe people can pontificate in the comments but people with really high verbal intelligence but fairly low general intelligence seem to become over distracted and obsessed with mysticism and mystical arts when contrasted with other groups in the general population, which is what makes it such an effective like sticky trap for rats for those types of individuals, which can be very dangerous if left as free agents in a society. It is for this reason that I actually am not particularly against Kabbalistic teachings within Jewish communities. If you read our book, The Pragmatist Guide to Crafting Religion, one section that we go really deep into is the myth of higher IQ within Jewish communities, which is just that. It's not very well supported by at least rigorously collected data, but what is incredibly well supported is an unusually high verbal intelligence in Jewish communities. And what mysticism may have done in the same way that we talk within Catholicism, because within Catholicism, they had this system that prevented nepotism from becoming a problem in their communities by ensuring that people within the bureaucratic positions of power within their communities couldn't have wives. And so it meant that the genetic precursors associated with amoral familialism, i.e. promoting family members over members of the general public, ended up becoming more ingrained in Catholic communities than in other communities. Because Catholicism had traditions that were so good at defending against it, there was not an additional genetic cost towards individuals over-engaging in the amoral familialism. 
this is why within Catholic countries you have so much more corruption than in other countries. Well, I think something very similar happened within the Jewish community because it had such a good defense interculturally against extremely high verbal intelligence individuals becoming a problem for the community. It allowed verbal intelligence to concentrate at a genetic level within their communities that would have been very deleterious to other communities and removing Kabbalistic teachings or practices from a Jewish community would cause these free radicals to spill out into the community and begin to cause a lot of damage. So weirdly, this is one of those areas where I would just give Jews a pass, not because I think that their mystical teachings are accurate or give them any sort of an edge through the teachings themselves, but because I think that they confer benefits uniquely to their community and have been vetted for a very, very long period of cultural evolution for doing just the right amount of good for the community without becoming an overt obsession for too large a population or swaying too large a population towards inefficacious traditions or alternate belief systems about physical reality. Wait, but if Jews were able to use mysticism to get a higher verbal intelligence within their population, why would I not encourage other populations to use a similar tactic? The answer is uh, fairly straightforward. We now have genetic technology and you don't need to inject your tradition with something efficaciousless outside of the way it impacts the genetic selection effects of your culture into a culture anymore. So there just isn't a need for this to get the advantages that the Jewish population was able to glean from this unique cultural technology. But the final trait of mysticism, which is really important to note, is if you look in our relationship and sexuality, like the pragmatist guide to relationships, the pragmatist guide to sexuality, if you look at our other videos on the topic of how love works and how some religious systems utilize love to trick people into seeing, mysticism doesn't just hijack people's brains by tricking them into seeing the profound where the profound doesn't actually exist. Like manic dancing, obviously that's not an actual profound experience. But... <clears throat> It's very good at tricking them into feeling love. And love can be filled whenever you're thinking about a concept that holds a lot of basically like mental volume in your mind. Um. But one way you can trick a concept into holding a lot of mental volume in your mind is by holding a concept that is itself illogical and therefore constantly expands. One way that some Christians do this is like the concept of the Trinity, three separate things, but that are also one thing and then meditate on that because that is in it in, in intrinsically a paradox it fills up a lot of your mind and then when you see that thing as protective and loving it makes you feel this feeling of love which makes you feel that there's some truth behind it mysticism does that all the time and for that reason it is also uniquely tempting to people who cannot find true love in the world because they are acting in ways that are selfish or self-aggrandizing, mm -hmm. which mysticism enables because it tells you that you have powers or importance that you don't have. Mm -hmm. And this is why I think the truly ordered mind and the truly dogmatic, like, dogmatic in a good way mind, mind that is following the righteous path, is ordered enough to not succumb to forms of, of mysticism that inflate its ego so much so as to believe that it is in any way like the divine. And this is where we probably have one of our more controversial takes on mysticism is that I believe that the belief in the soul is a form of mysticism because it is to elevate the human 
to the level of the divine and believe that humanity touches the divine where we do not. Doesn't that veer though somewhat from our definition of mysticism in that like it's, it doesn't, the soul kind of doesn't, it's not relevant to this definition because it's, it can't be predictive or not. Like we can't test. So this it, is, this it, is any, not... any feeling of the soul that is not a predictive claim, I will accept. Okay. I will say, okay, that's great. Uh -huh. But a lot of people use the soul to explain or as a mechanism for explaining extra physical or extra materialist action mm -hmm. with the world. Like his soul is so powerful or his, you know, and that is why it is so, and it's a very tempting concept because it allows people to believe in things like life after death and stuff like that, which is a form of mysticism in my perspective. But again, this is, this is an area where we would probably be a bit more flexible if somebody believes a form of mystical tradition, which is actually an old Abrahamic revelation, I would be willing to say, okay, you can come to space with us. Like we can cut some slack here so long as you're not using it to inform your decisions about physics or mm -hmm. inform your decisions about the powers that you have. And so long as you do not use what, what I guess I'd call soul magic, like trying to engage this extra planal realm in terms of impacting our existing realm. That mm -hmm. is where I would, I would draw the one line, but I would say for members of our family, we would see it as a form of, of, of mysticism, self-masturbation, and an, an offense to God in that you are claiming to be of the same kind of thing that he is in which humans are not from our understanding. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. That, that broadly checks out. I was thinking more about when delineating whether witchcraft is okay when done in the name of Abrahamic traditions. And I think looking at the various forms of it practiced under the guise of Catholicism are a good example. So one that I would say is solidly risen the realm of okay is exorcisms because that is specifically invoking extraplanal powers for the sole purpose and only purpose of directly combating the perceived extraplanal powers of others. On the other side, when you look at things like saint worship and reliquary worship, I see that as being a really muddy middle ground, probably bordering on just blatant witchcraft. And, and to understand why stuff like saint worship gets so dangerous, is then you'll get things like the big Catholic cult right now in Latin America worshiping Santa Muerte. They're basically worshiping an unnamed, like not canonized saint of the dead, which is a, a skeleton that they worship alongside biblical figures and represents death. To me, this is just very obviously probably the truest form of actual Satanism being practiced in the world today, and yet it is practiced under the guise of Catholicism. I think the way that evil religions seep into the world is not those individuals who are like the individuals who call themselves Satanists, who are really just having a laugh and trolling people, but under the guise of established religions like Christianity, because these people actually believe and have fervor for these entities they're worshiping, and these entities are just like sometimes comically and obviously 
not just normal witchcraft, but malicious witchcraft. One of the reasons Santa Muerte has drawn such a following, if you look at, like, interviews with her followers, is there's like, well, you know, I can't pray to God or Jesus to hurt someone or for something petty because they would judge me negatively. But Santa Muerte, you know, she's a, a deity of the people. So when I want to hurt somebody or when I want something selfish or when I want, like, a love spell, I can pray to her. And it's like, okay, so, like, very obviously you're praying to the devil. The devil doesn't come out and be like, hey, I'm evil. It is evil in how it is attracting you and what you are using it for. And I think that Santa Muerte does show why we counsel so much caution, even when the witchcraft is being done under the name of the Judeo-Christian tree of religions. And I think the easy branch here is, are you invoking extraplanal realms only to combat other extraplanal entities, or are you invoking them for some form of control or self-benefit? If it is the latter, then it is just witchcraft, whatever you claim inspired it. I also think that this helps explain to Catholics who are a little confused why other Christians take idolatry so seriously. I mean, other than that it's the first commandment, and I don't understand how people ignore that. But when you do things like begin to worship other entities as gatekeepers to God or as some sort of intermediary in your worship of God directly— it can very easily spin out into just worshipping what are essentially demons, even from a secular perspective. Anyway, I love you to death, Simone. This has been a fun episode. I love you too. I love talking about these things. <laughs> Never thought, though, from my childhood that we would be like, burn the witches! No, which is bad. I, I don't think that, he, I mean, I think that it's probably worth recycling them into some sort of food stuff or something like that. I mean, if you're on an interplanetary journey, you don't, really don't burn the witches, soylent the witches, right? Soylent the witches. Yeah. Turn them into Thank you. starch, but just be aware that they are a danger and it can be thought of as chaos corruption, basically, and that it will spread, if not stuff out at the earliest stages within communities that rely on things like a rigid understanding of physics to maintain their lifestyle, which just isn't a thing today in the world, but it will yeah. become one. But As I really do think that the cure is so simple and it has to do with how you learn about it. If you learn about it from in a, in a logical educational format where you're you're understanding the framework of it, its origins and, and its efficacy, you will learn the right way. You'll, you'll learn in a way that you're not that doesn't corrupt you. If you learn it in a social environment where someone that you trust yeah. or are trying to gain social credit with presents it to you as though it's reality and you respect them, you're so screwed. You're incredibly screwed. Yeah. Well, and 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 I should note here that from this understanding of physics, beliefs around genetics that are not based on science, but based on, you know, as we call it, justicalism, like humans don't have genes or human genes do not inflect, influence their personality or, or et cetera, like, like the way that they interact with the world. Um, it, like, like human genes stop right here. No genes go above this part or influence anything that happens up here. That's a form of extreme and very dangerous mysticism because it is outright science denial. Um, and, and it is science denial in favor of 
a hypothetical alternate framework for the physical reality of our universe and a very dangerous one because communities that engage with that intergenerationally now that all humans basically live because you know half of humans used to die are going to have an accumulated genetic load that will lead to them becoming dangerous mutants and when i say dangerous mutants i mean mostly dangerous to themselves they're going to basically be big balls of cancer but you, you'll also likely see negative psychological effects not discordant with the jolly heretic spiteful mutant theory ah yes the classic anyway i love you to death simone i love you too malcolm okay 